you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Genesis 24. Genesis 24 is your finding your place there. I want to welcome the venue service meeting right down the hall from us this morning. They're joining via live stream. Also, uh, Reach Church in DeSoto is joining us. So, Reach Church, we're excited that you're joining up with us this morning. Also, Fellowship Olathe is worshiping via live stream with us this morning. So, Fellowship Olathe, we're grateful you're worshiping with us this morning as we study uh, God's Word together. I also want to encourage you uh, to go online and look at some of these fall discipleship courses that we're offering online. We've got several really good online discipleship courses that'll help you grow in your faith. And I want to draw your attention particularly to one of those uh, that Pastor Steve Barnes is leading on uh, evangelism and evangelistic training. And I think right now, more than ever, we need to be reminded that we're called to be salt and light in this world. We're called to go out into that world, to live on mission, and to not be ashamed of the gospel and tell people about the hope of Jesus Christ. And in all this COVID stuff, I think sometimes we have a tendency to turn a little more inward and uh, stop living outwardly. And this is a great time for us to utilize the circumstances. We may have to be a little more creative than what we've been in the past, but the mission that God has given to us is no less relevant and no less compelling than it is today. And maybe you're saying, I'm a little scared. I don't know what that means. I'm not ready. It doesn't matter if you're a beginner in sharing your faith or a seasoned veteran. That course will encourage you. So if you're praying like I'm praying, God, use me right now to share the gospel in my everyday life, uh, then that is a class you ought to consider uh, joining up with. Well, as we turn our attention to Genesis chapter 4, you'll remember last week in Genesis chapter 3, critical moment in Abraham's life. He's just uh, buried his wife, Sarah. And, and upon that moment, I, I think really now Abraham's attention begins to turn to his son Isaac, who is not yet married. And he knows at this juncture, if God's going to complete these purposes, he's going to have to find a godly woman for this uh, young man. And so his attention turns to Isaac. I, I, I think that Abraham was probably reflecting too on how critical Sarah was to him in his walk of faith. I think Abraham, at one of the moments where he looked back over his life and considered the fact that he probably never would have been or achieved what he had done if it hadn't been for this godly woman of faith that God had paired him up with in Sarah. And I think he's probably thinking, we need another Sarah. We need to find a godly woman for this young man. And this is so critical. This passage, it reminds us in God's purposes, in this nation Israel that God is going to raise up. One of the critical aspects of that nation will be marriage. It'll be the home. That's where it all begins. We got to start there. That's the foundation of any nation. It starts in the home. And God is going to give us some principles as to what you should look for in a spouse. And, and so if you're here this morning and you're single and you're looking for or praying for a godly man or woman, God's going to give you some principles right here, uh, some very practical principles. I love this about God. His word is practical in his life. And, and I know that we're looking for a, a wife for Isaac, but I think the principles that God gives us here apply 
to a man or a woman as you seek to find that godly spouse that, that, that God would have you partner up with in his mission. And then if you're here, you say, well, I'm married. and Well, you can't leave just yet, all right? You're going to have to stick around. You're going to have to sit it out. But it is a good time for all of us, even as married couples, to, to really reflect on whether or not we're being uh, the godly man or woman the husband or wife that God has called us to be because these standards are no less applicable uh, once you get married than they are prior to marriage, all right? So we're all going to learn together. We're all going to be reminded of what God requires. And at the end of it all, we got 67 verses. We got a lot to cover. Last night, we were here for an hour, okay? I'm just warning you. So I hope you brought lunch with you. Uh, No, I'm just kidding, a little bit kidding, but we got a lot to cover this morning. But at the end of this, you know what I pray you see? Because what we're seeing throughout these stories, in each and every one of them, you know what we get a picture of? We get a picture of the gospel. And you're going to get to see it because you're going to have a servant go out, and he's going to tell this girl about a son, about an only begotten son who's beloved of the Father. And he's going to invite her to enter into a relationship with him by means of what? Faith. She's going to have to take it by faith. So we're going to get a picture of the gospel this morning. Let me pray together, pray with us, and we'll, we'll, we'll walk through this passage. God, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word this morning. God, it, it's such a joy. I pray that we would never get over the fact that you've revealed yourself in your word. The wonder and the glory of your word that speaks to us every time we open it. This book is living It's a divine word, and it's active. And God, I pray by means of your word this morning, you'd penetrate all of our hearts. God, you'd mold us and shape us. God, you would encourage us. If need be, you'd challenge us, you'd correct us. But God, you'd draw us to yourself and make us into the men and women that you've called us to be. And God, I pray, I pray if there's anybody here this morning watching online or in this room that doesn't know you, God, I pray that they would see the beauty of the gospel in this story. Lord, work, Holy Spirit, we ask you to move in our hearts and in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was studying this, this passage, the verse that kept coming to my mind was, was Psalm 127.1. And one, you, most of you know that psalm. But unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. God is really giving us some biblical principles for the home, for marriage right here. And in your marriage, you, you really got one of two options. You can do it your way, but what God says in Psalm 127.1 is you can do whatever you want to, just don't expect me to bless it. Or you can do it my way. You can do it as I've instructed you and know that I'll bless it. So God's given us some principles here. And really, uh, the, what we see is three elements. What you ought to be looking for in a spouse, all right? So it's either a reminder of who you should be. Or it's showing you what you should be looking for this morning, all right? So let's look at this. Look with me at verses 1 through 4. Now, Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh, and I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. And this servant, he's going to enter into an oath with this servant. And this servant, most believe this is Eliezer, because previously we have seen that Abraham has said prior to Isaac's birth that the heir of all that I have is Eliezer, the, the, the chief of my servants. And so, 
Most believe that this is Eliezer. I'll refer to him as Eliezer. That's what I believe. So just know when I say Eliezer, we're talking about the servant. So here Abraham takes Eliezer, his servant, and he asks him to enter into an oath with him. He asks him to put his hand under his thigh and and we don't want to get graphic this morning, but you understand what he's doing here. I mean, this is, I think, a firm handshake will do today. That's what I'd prefer. But this in their day, it was serious, all right? Abraham is saying to his servant, he's saying, my life is in your hands. And the first thing that we see here is that in Abraham's mind, there's nothing more significant to me right now than making sure I find a godly wife for my boy Isaac. And it's a good reminder to us as parents of the burden that we should feel in making sure that we launch out our children and prayerfully they meet up with a godly man or a godly woman to join them in the mission that God has called for them. In fact, if you're not already praying, I don't care how young your children are, if you're not already praying today, for their spouse you need to start doing so now because that's part of your burden that's part of Abraham feeling in order for me to really complete my purposes I'm not going to really die in peace unless I know this boy is married up to a godly woman so this is serious business and then he tells them, we see it already right there in verse 3 and verse 4 go to my country don't 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 find a wife among the Canaanites Go back to, to my homeland. Go back to that place where there's a group of people who believe in Jehovah God. And it's critical that we understand right here that, they, that God is not saying you shouldn't marry a foreign wife. It's not about a race. It's not, this is not forbidding interracial marriage. This is not about a particular, getting a wife from a particular location. I was talking about this this week with Wyatt. And I said, Wyatt, does this mean that we got to go back to Alabama to find you a godly wife, back to your hometown? which worked out well for me, but he said, no, that's not what it means. I said, you're right, that's not what it means. It's not about going to a particular location. Here's what it means. Abraham is saying to his servant Eliezer, make sure you find a wife who loves Jehovah God. And what we're seeing right here, the primary uh, thing that we should be looking for in a spouse is you ought to be looking for a person who is a Christian, Deuteronomy 6, God instructed them, don't intermarry with the Canaanites. And again, it wasn't about foreign. In fact, you see foreign wives in the genealogy of Jesus, don't we? You got Rahab and you got Ruth. It's not about a particular nation. It's about somebody who loves God. You get to the New Testament in 2 Corinthians. Paul tells us, don't be unequally yoked. God forbids interfaith marriage. Don't be unequally. You find somebody primarily who loves God. And I know this seems elementary. You'd say, well, Pastor, that just, that's common sense. Everybody knows this. But you'd be amazed at how many young men and women will just go out and find somebody that likes some of the same things they do. And one of the last things they bring up in conversation is about where that person stands in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something this morning. You can have all kinds of things in common. You can like the same ice cream and both of you can pull for the chiefs. But listen to me, if you don't have a common foundation in faith in Jesus Christ, ultimately you've got different priorities, you've got different values, you're going to make different decisions, and sooner or later there's going to be silence and eventually there will be opposition. 
Because on the bigger things of life, the things that actually matter, you're going to be heading in opposite directions. It's that critical. So don't marry a non-believer. God forbids it. And then what do we see? Look as he he moves on in verse 5. The servant said to him, suppose the woman's not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back there to the land from where you came? And then Abraham said to him, beware that you don't take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, say, to your descendants I'll give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you'll take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman's not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this my oath. Only do not take my son back there. And so Eliezer is a thinker. He's a, he's a faithful uh, servant to, uh, to Abraham, and he's got a question in his mind because Eliezer, it's a, it's a legitimate concern. Uh, Eliezer's going to travel from one end of Mesopotamia to the other end of Mesopotamia. He's going to take a long journey, and he's going to go meet up with some lady, and he's going to ask her to leave everything she has and take a long journey back to meet some guy and marry some guy that she's never met. And Eliezer's saying, God, or Abraham, I think your standard's a little too high. And there's a chance we're going to have to get Isaac, and she's going to have to see the goods before she buys in, all right? I'm not sure she's going to be willing to take it by faith. And what does Abraham say? No, no. We are not compromising. What Abraham is saying here, he, I love this about Abraham because you know what he's learned? He's learned that you don't have to manipulate circumstances and you don't have to help God out in the fulfillment of his promises. You just trust him. And we're going to trust that if God can produce a boy from a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man, he can produce a godly wife for that same boy. And we don't have to compromise. And we don't have to manipulate the circumstances. And by the way, do you know how old Isaac is at this moment? He's 40 years old. And the field is starting to narrow. And he's probably thinking, boy, we're going to have to do something quick. And we may have to cut some corners. And we may have to lower the standards. And Abraham's having none of it. And what he's saying is if that woman's not willing to step out in faith and trust the word of the Lord, then that's not the woman we want. We're not just looking for a Christian. We're not just looking for a godly believer. We're looking for a woman who's willing to go all in with God. We're not just looking for somebody who's willing to check the box of Christianity. We want a woman of deep, abiding faith. So we're not going to compromise. It's just a good word. Listen to me this morning. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. You may think, oh, I'm I'm getting a little older. I'm going to have to start lowering the standards. Don't you dare compromise. Don't you dare compromise. If God is powerful enough to save you, I think he's powerful enough to find you a godly man or woman. And listen to me, if you have to live the rest of your life as single, I say this with all seriousness in the world, there are worse things than being alone. And I say that because I've had men and women in my office, and I can tell you horror stories. You make sure you find a man or a woman who loves Jesus just like you do. And that is their primary passion, that they love Christ first and they love Christ 
most, and we don't compromise. It's also a good reminder to us as parents that we don't have to manipulate the circumstances. Now, you look at this story, and it's arranged marriage. And the older I get, the more I think, boy, these arranged marriages deals are pretty good. I think that'll work out well. Now, when I was, I thought mom and dad ain't picking, all right? But, but now I think it's kind of wise. It'd be me and Faith are starting to think, well, this will work out well. But, um, but anyway, I, I think the reminder for us is, yes, parents, we got to be involved, and you better be. But at the same time, you don't have to manipulate circumstances. You got to trust God. And you need to pray that God would bring about that godly man or woman who would partner up with your son or your daughter. So don't compromise. But then look on. What is Eliezer looking for? Verse 9, so the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham. In verse 9, his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink and who answers drink and I'll water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac and by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. And right there in verse 14, you find out what is Eliezer looking for? What is the top priority on Eliezer's list? You know what he's looking for? He's looking for a camel water. All right, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a camel water. And you say, what in the world is a camel water? Well, Eliezer is praying that God will bring somebody who will demonstrate extreme hospitality to him. you got to understand that in that culture, the highest form of holiness was hospitality. Because hospitality was no small issue in that day. Um, it was a life or death deal. If you're traveling, you relied upon somebody inviting you into their home and sharing a meal with you. Because there was no Motel 6. There was no Holiday Inn Express. There was no Arby's you run through the drive through a price chopper. You, if, unless you were really wealthy and you could take a bunch of provisions with you, you relied upon somebody being willing to invite you into their home and take care of you and meet your basic needs. And so in that culture, really the highest form of holiness was a person who demonstrated hospitality. But what you see here in Eliezer is he's not just praying for a woman who has holiness and character. He's praying for a woman of extreme hospitality. Because he prays for a woman who will not only give water to him, but water also all of his camels. And how many camels he got? He got ten And camels were the SUVs of that day, all right? A camel could go a long time without water, but when a camel drank water, do you know how much one camel, how much water one camel can drink? 25 gallons. That's a lot of water. In 10 camels, you got 250 gallons of water. 
And you're not talking about one of those wells where you use the rope to lower the, you know, the bucket in and you bring it back up. These were wells that were huge. They'd have these staircases that would go around them and you'd go down in there and you'd have to take a jug of water. And most believe the jug of water she probably had could probably carry about three gallons, somewhere around three gallons. How many trips she having to take down to that well? Listen, you would think that a woman who would volunteer for this kind of hospitality, it ain't happening. No woman in the world is going to volunteer to do this. But Eliezer says, listen, I don't want just a godly, holy woman. I want a woman of extreme holiness and character. Because what, 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 is, what does Eliezer know if this woman does this? Not only does he know she's a woman of extreme holiness, but he knows she's servant-hearted. And listen, when I talk about this, I think these are criteria for a husband or a wife. You know what you're looking for? You're looking for a servant-hearted, others-focused, holy man or woman of God. A man or woman of character and holiness. There's a lot that Eliezer's going to learn if he finds a woman of this kind of hospitality. And notice what's not on the list. His primary criteria is not beauty. He's not praying, God, show me the most beautiful woman. I'll find the most beautiful woman who walks up here. That's not on his list. Now, that's going to be a bonus, but that's not the, that don't make the list. Why? Because Eliezer knows what God knows. Beauty is fading, amen, it's fleeting. Ladies, one day that guy you think so handsome, you're going to find him clipping his toenails and trimming his nose hairs. And you're going to think, who in the world You're going to think, what in the world? Beauty is fleeting. And when beauty and all that stuff's gone, you better hope you got a man or woman of character and godliness. And listen to me. I don't care whatever other criteria fit the bill. If you don't find a man or woman of godliness and character, you run for the hills. God is clear. We want a woman. We want a man of holiness. And extreme holiness. This is so important. Listen to me, couples, because I see this. I live sometimes on the other side of marriages that are struggling. And it breaks my heart and it pains me. And so often when I see a couple want to get married, I want to show them some of these other couples. Because I've seen men, I, I, I've seen men, boy, they have a deep passion for the Lord. They're studying the word and they, they're wanting to win souls for Jesus. They want to live on mission for him. And then they pair up with a woman who has real, real no passion for Jesus. And that woman will suck the life out of that man. And at the same time, you know what I find? I find women who love Jesus. Boy, they're studying the word and they love him. And then they got a pet slug sitting next to him. And he got no desire for the things of God. And that man will suck the life out of that woman. That's why when I say the word of God tells us to be unequally yoked, it's not just saying that they check the box of Christian. Because there's a lot of people, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Listen, when you're dating, they'll tell you anything you want to hear. You better watch them. And you better know that you're getting a man or woman who truly loves Jesus down deep in their heart. And from a ministerial perspective, I can tell you this in the ministry I have never seen a man achieve his full potential in the ministry 
without a woman of godliness and holiness behind him and supporting him and who's with him. And I can tell you that because I testify to it in my own life that I would not have achieved half of what I've seen God do in my life if it wasn't for this godly woman right here who was behind me and supporting me in every way. That's why this is so important. I've seen guys, listen, I'm being generous, they, the guys have B-level talent. Now, they love Jesus, but you pair them up with a godly woman who supports him and says, I'm with you, and you will see a man thrive. Can I just tell you, ladies, today, and I'm just speaking from the man's side, but today more than ever, men are attacked for just being men. And if a man ever asserts himself as a leader, he's often attacked as being chauvinistic. And don't, don't, don't mishear me. You, there can be abuses of this. But I'm just going to tell you, ladies, if you've got a husband who steps out to lead your home in the things of God, if he's following Christ and he steps out to lead your home in the things of Christ and following God, you can share your opinion. You might even disagree with him. But you look him in the eye and you say, I'd rather fail with you following Jesus than follow any other man out there, you big stud. And you kiss him on the mouth. And I'm going to tell you what. Amen, guys. Can I get an amen? amen? And you will see a man thrive. You will see him soar. And I, far too often I see a man who's afraid to step out in anything for getting whomped upside the head. And so I, one day I told Faith, we'll have her up here and tell the woman's side of it. I can only speak to the man's side of it. But you find a man or a woman who pairs up with you and loves Jesus like you do, and you partner up with, together with God, and listen, there's no limit to what God can do to, through two people who are deeply committed to Christ. So, did I beat that horse sufficiently? All right? We clear. A Christian, not just a Christian, you don't compromise. You find a godly man of extreme godliness who challenges you. You want to find somebody who every day you say, boy, that person makes me want to be a better Christian. That's what you're looking for. All right, let's move on. God provides. We got, we're already over time. Listen, here we go. Here we go. Verse 15, we're not going to have time to read it all. Before he had finished speaking, isn't that awesome? God's providing before they finish praying. Isn't that how God works sometimes? We just sing about it. Even when I don't see him, he's working. He was working. Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, uh, the son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother, he didn't even know it, but God is providing somebody who, who's of the same faith, the, really the same larger family, and, and somebody who loves the Lord. And the girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up, and the servant ran to meet her and said, please, let me drink a little water from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord, and she quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw also for your camels until they've finished drinking. So here it is, everything he's prayed for. Now God is providing. And so here is Rebecca, and what a wonderful provision she is uh, to, to, to not, just, not just Eliezer, but to Abraham and to Isaac. And then you, you look on down in verse 28, then the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran outside to the man at the spring. I think Laban, some people wonder if he's just interested in this because he thinks these guys got a lot of money. And we know Laban's a little bit of a deceiver, but I think to some extent Laban's her brother. And he's probably thinking, I'm going to check this guy out. I mean, and that's right. 
brothers, dads, you better check that guy out. So he's wanting to see what we got going on here. When he saw the ring and the braces on his sister's wrists, and when he heard the words of Rebecca's sister saying, this is what the man said to me, he went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring, and he said, come in. I'm blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside since I prepared the house and a place for the camels? So the man entered the house, then Laban unloaded the camels. He gave a straw and feed to the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. But when food was set before him to eat, he said, I'll not eat until I've told my business. So he said, we're not eating. I got to tell you what God's done. <laughs> He's so excited to tell this family. Let me, let me just tell you how God has worked. And so in the next verses, he recalls how God had sent him out. Abraham had sent him out and what he was looking for and how God had miraculously provided through this woman, Rebecca. And then you pick up the story in verse 49. So now, if you're going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, let me know uh, that I may turn to the right or left. And then Laban and Bethuel replied, the matter comes from the Lord, so we can't speak to you bad or good. Here's Rebecca before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. And then you get on down further into this story and what happens is all of a sudden Laban and the family they, they start to have second thoughts what, what in the world are we do in letting Rebecca run off with this stranger to marry this son we don't even know and so they're, they're saying let, us, let her stay for about 10 days and let us think about it we're not sure if she should make this kind of commitment and then he says no I gotta go and so they said well we'll just ask her and so look down in verse 58 they called Rebecca and said to her will you go with this man and what does she say I'll go. Now, folks, don't, don't just read past that. This is huge. This is amazing faith on the part of Rebecca. I mean, think about what she's being asked to do. She's being asked to leave everything that she knows, everything that she's used to, everything she's comfortable with, to go off with a stranger to marry a man she's never even met, simply on the basis of the word of a servant. And what we're seeing here is a powerful picture of salvation because isn't this how salvation works? That there is a servant who comes to one of us and tells us about the glory of the beloved son of the father and there comes a point of decision where if we want to follow him, we got to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, that you got to leave everything back. There's no one foot in or one foot out. At some point, you got to make a decision. you got to burn the ships, and you got to say, I'm all in with this guy, Jesus. He demands nothing less. This is what we're seeing with Abraham. What did he have to do? He had to leave his family. He had to make a break. He had to leave his family and go with God. We're seeing, you'll see it with Moses. You'll, you'll see it with, with, with David. David had to leave his family. You'll see it with Elisha. Elijah, Elijah comes to Elisha and says, come follow God. And Elijah says, can I go back and kiss my dad? And he says, forget about it. If you're not willing to just go, then you're not in. And what does Elisha do? He takes the oxen, kills the oxen, gives the meat to the people. That's called burning the ships. And he goes all in. You get in the New Testament, Peter, Andrew, James, John, they all left the family business. They left everything immediately when Jesus said, come follow me. And they followed him. And what's the greatest picture of an individual who left their father's house and gave up everything? The most powerful picture of this is Jesus. And Jesus will never ask you to give up more than he gave up, which is everything. This is salvation. We take the word of the servant on the, uh, about the son on the basis of faith and then we begin a journey and she went out on a journey and now she's going to have to travel with Eliezer all the way back to the other end of Mesopotamia most believe that this wasn't just a, a one or two day journey this was weeks potentially months 
And uh, Jay Vernon McGee actually has a sermon on this that's powerful. And if you never heard, you gotta, he's got that West Texas accent, you know what I'm talking about. And he just kind of conjectures about this passage. He says that I would imagine upon this journey that Rebecca, she's on a long journey. He said, I would imagine that there came points in times when, when, when Rebecca would look at Eliezer and say, tell me again about the son. Tell me again about his miraculous, I got to know, this, this journey's getting hard, but tell me again about his miraculous birth. Tell, tell, tell me again about the wealth of the father. Tell me again about the promise that the father made. Tell me again about how he, he was basically raised from the dead and about the story of him going up on that mountain and God providing the ram in the thicket. And she'd go on a little further and she'd stop. Tell me again about the son. He'd go on, get a little further. Tell me again. He'd say, goodness gracious woman, I've told you a thousand times. And she'd tell me one more time. And he said, I'm convinced that this story is what birthed the hymn, Tell Me the Story of Jesus came from. Isn't that awesome? But isn't that us as well? That we, on the basis of the word of God, by means of faith, trust in his word, and we step out in faith, we leave everything behind, and we begin following Jesus, and we enter into a journey of faith that sometimes has its hills and its valleys, doesn't it? And what do we do along the way? We fix our eyes on who? The son. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And when the day gets long and the struggles come and the trials are there, what do we do? We look to Jesus and we're reminded of the Son, the only begotten Son. And one day we're going to see him and that's exactly what happens. You get to the end of the story, verse 62. Now Isaac had come from going to Be'er, Lahai, Roy, and he was living in the Negev. And Isaac went out to um, meditate in the field toward Eve. What is Isaac meditating about? 40-year-old guy waiting on his wife. He's thinking about the bride. I bet every day he's looking at that horizon when she's coming. And so he's out there looking towards the, the, the horizon and, and has lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, camels were coming. And Rebecca in verse 64 lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. And she said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, he's my master. And she took her veil and covered herself. Why, why is she covering herself? Because she's pure. She's blameless. One day we'll be presented before the Son as spotless through Christ. And the servant told Isaac all the things that God had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah and she became his wife. And he loved her. And thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. What I love about this is the picture of Isaac looking out on the horizon waiting for his bride. As excited as Rebecca was to see Isaac, I think Isaac was more excited to see her. You know, I get to do these weddings, and it's so much fun to do a wedding because you stand next to this guy who's getting married. And these guys, they get goofy when they're up here. I'm just going to tell you. They, they don't care about any, they, the bridal party comes in, they care less. They don't even know that I'm there. They don't care. They don't care who I am. Their, their mind is on one thing. They're looking to those back doors. And they're waiting on that beautiful bride to step out of those doors. Sometimes they just start crying. They're overwhelmed. And every time I see that, you know what I think of? 
oftentimes in my mind, I don't know about you, but I say, I can't wait to see Jesus. Have you ever thought about how much he can't wait to see you? See, we're the bride of Christ as the church. And one day some servant came to us and they told us about the only begotten son, the beloved of the father, in whom was all the father's delight and all the wealth of the father was bestowed upon the son. And they told us about the promise of this one who came and died on a cross for our sins. And he made a promise to us, if you believe in him, you shall not perish. You have an eternal life. And one day to be absent from the body will be present with the Lord. And you're going to get to see him face to face. But you've got to step out in faith. And what do we do? We stepped out in faith and we trusted the word of God. And we believed in the son. And we began a journey of faith that sometimes has its hills and its valleys. But what were we looking towards that day? When we'll walk no longer by faith, but our faith will be sight. And we'll see our Savior face to face. And the fullness of God's promise and the inheritance that's promised to us will become full fruition at that moment. When we meet up with God's Son and we, his bride, as spotless and pure through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, can I tell you, as best I can, I want to be an Eliezer to you this morning. And I want to tell you about the Son. He's more glorious than you can ever imagine. He is God, and he left the glory of heaven to come and die for you because he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And you can enter into that relationship today. You can become his bride simply by placing your faith and faith in him alone for salvation. And all the Father's promises become yes in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good? I don't know how anybody can turn down that offer. Let's pray together. God, we, we just thank you this morning for the word of God that makes the beauty of Christ so, so plain before us. In each and every one of these stories, we see a picture of the salvation of Christ. And God, I pray if there's anybody here today that's not trusted in you, I pray today that, God, they would see the glory of the Son, the beauty of the Son who loved them and died for them. And I pray that they would trust in you as their only hope of salvation. God, for those of us that do know you in this journey of faith, I pray that we would always fix our eyes on Jesus. God, I pray for anybody here this morning that, boy, they're waiting on that man or woman. God, I pray that they would see very clearly what is required of a spouse. And God, I pray they wouldn't compromise. They trust in you. That if you're powerful enough to save them, you can provide that person. God, I pray for those of us that do know you. I pray for every marriage represented in this room. God, I pray that we would be godly men and women that encourage our spouses to follow you. May we challenge each other and serve each other as we seek to glorify Christ in a lost world that desperately needs to see Jesus, not just in our lives, but in our marriages. Help us to make the way of Christ appealing in how we love our mate. God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.